ask questions. Um, that's the thing I've learned the most is that if you sit down and don't ever ask anything, then nothing's going to come. So ask questions. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I'm joined by a British Olympic swimmer. She is a two-time world champion and Olympic silver medalist for the 10K open water swim. Since retiring from swimming in 2017, she has founded two businesses, Triscape, an international coaching and swim retreat business, and Straight Line Swimming, a coaching and tutorial business aiming to empower the world to swim. She is a global ambassador for several luxury brands and last year featured in the TV show, The Wave. As you all know, I am always in awe of anyone who chooses to dedicate their lives to sport and today's guest is no exception. Welcome to the show, Kerri-Anne Payne. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming in. I'm so happy to have you here. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And firstly, I must say that when it comes to exercise and fitness, swimming is my kryptonite. It really is. Yeah, I have, it's amazing how many people have exactly the same reaction when we talk about swimming. Um, it's just one of those things that someone either feels like they say, oh, I can swim or mm-hmm. I can't swim, which is amazing that people feel you know, confident enough, I guess, to say that. Because actually to say you can't swim or it's mm-hmm. something that you're scared of is, is quite a scary thing, especially as an adult. So yep. you'd be amazed at how many people do actually say that. I think the stat a couple of years ago was one in five adults still can't swim in the UK. And not worldwide, really? that's in the UK, which is still quite a big number of people. Yeah, it is for sure. I mean, I can swim, but not well and I definitely not confidently. So for anyone listening who might not know much about you and your incredible career, can you take us back to the start of your journey and um, yeah, tell us how you got started? So I was born in South Africa, lived there until I was 13. Um, my mom and dad, uh, well, my dad actually got a job in South Africa and was only meant to be there for a year and they stayed for 25, which was wow. a long time. Um, had three kids out there. So my brother and sister are both older, brother's nine years older, my sister's five years older. And I was that really annoying little sister that followed my brother everywhere no matter what he did I wanted to do it and when I was kind of that age he was swimming that was the thing that he loved doing the most uh, so I was literally pretty much to be honest born on a poolside if right. <laughs> I'm sure I probably could have been easily but um you just yeah from birth I was always around poolside mom was taking him to training and I was just there running up and down the side and I mean things were bad I was like that really annoying sister and I literally <laughs> used to run up and down the pool while he was swimming like yeah 
that's ridiculous. But anyway, and then one day the coach just said, look, carry on next week. Why don't you bring your swimming costume and I'll teach you how to swim. And I'd totally miss her the next week bit. And I was like, okay. And I jumped straight in fully clothed, jumped straight that. into the water. And they were like, oh, okay, there we are. And then, you know, but before I knew it, I was, um, one, I don't remember this myself, but my bro- one of my brother's memories is that I used to sit on his kickboard mm-hmm. and they used to kick and used to kind of go up and down the pool with me sitting on his kickboard. Um, wow. And that was when I was kind of young enough for him to still be interested in the young sister when he got a bit older. He was like, oh, would you just leave me alone? <laughs> yeah, so you really were a water baby. Pretty much. Literally. Pretty much. So from there, I guess, did you have a, did you have a talent straight away in terms of, you know, going on to become an Olympic, you know, one of the best swimmers in the entire world? Did they see that straight away? Like, wow, she can swim? Or was it just that you... How did that? I think I've always had the ability uh, and certainly the water confidence. I think that was probably the biggest thing for me was Mm. was that. But I tried everything. My mum was the kind of person that made us try absolutely everything. I did ballet for... um, I think I had to do ballet for a year because I had really dodgy knees as a like my feet were literally pointed inside out I used to wear shoes on the wrong feet because my feet okay. were that bad so um the doctors were saying oh you know we're probably gonna have to break her legs and then reset wow. them and mom was like mm, no that's not happening so she took me to some alternative person and they said right do ballet for a year and see how that works and actually it worked out perfectly I stood in a um a box of sand at the beginning and then came back a year later my feet kind of sort sorted themselves out so that was kind of one thing I actually hated ballet um well I say I hated it I wasn't very good at it <laughs> because I remember again another story that my mom loves to tell loves to tell is that my sister did ballet as well and she'd be the teacher would come out and she'd be like oh Janine she's just she's a dream she's just a little <laughs> little ballerina and she pounces around on her little toes and Carrie Ann she's <laughs> she's just so cute oh oh. I was like, oh right and basically i used to be like this little baby elephant and i did not know what my toes were at yeah. all i only knew what my heels were and i bam 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 like r- running through um but anyway so ballet didn't really work out very well mm-hmm. did gymnastics not very flexible lots of people find that interesting that i'm an olympian mm. olympian you can't touch your toes how can that be yeah but actually it's got nothing to do with flexibility and swimming um but did that really hated it we had an old school russian um gymnastics teacher and she was she shouted and basically anybody that shouted at me i was not interested in so did that for a while didn't enjoy it um did cross country which i was very very bad at as well running it's not really my big thing um i did hockey we did shot put i did high jump i did literally we really did we did we literally tried everything um because my mom was just really keen for us to to find something that we loved but every single time always came back to swimming always every Mm -hmm. single time the thing that i would drop over anything else was swimming i never once said I don't want to go swimming today. It was always, I don't want to go to ballet today. I don't want to do this today, but I did always wanted to go swimming. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. But lots of things I'm thinking then. One, obviously, you know, trying lots of different things mm-hmm. when you're young, I think is, you know, so, so invaluable really yeah. and figuring out, you know, what you like, what you don't like, but also, you know, you just listed off maybe like five or six things and you're like, I wasn't good at that. I wasn't good at that. I wasn't. And I think for some people, some children, some parents maybe as well, if they see that they think, oh, my child is just not sporty or they're just mm. not, you know, so if there's things they're not good at or they don't excel or they're not the top of the class, then it's this, yeah, kind of an assumption. They put them in a box. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you're not sporty or you're not, you know, you're just not that smart. Or all these kind of labels, which don't really, you know, you 
just said you weren't you know particularly good at cross country or ballet or whatever but actually you went to be an olympian so i just think that's the thing is if you try lots of different things and if we encourage our children to try lots of different things don't assume that they are you know maybe just haven't found their thing yet yeah totally and i think that's something that we notice quite a lot certainly in in swimmers and and you know i'd I'd go as far to say our british swimmers is that they're usually really really good at swimming and that's great but the stuff on land is sometimes not that great so hand-eye coordination um you know kicking ball throwing ball that kind of stuff because we never or i say we they never really used to do anything other than swimming as a kid so i'm such a fan of um parents that take their kids to do so many other things because that's what i did and it certainly made me more robust Mm. i'm not very good let's be honest at throwing or catching but i gave it a go and i will i'm happy if a ball comes towards me i can try and catch it my eyes might be closed but i will try and catch (laughs) it um and just things like that that i think a lot of people don't really do very much of um you know there's not that because again i get so many parents come to me um with their young kids going oh my daughter's nine years old um you know how many meters did you swim as an as a week as a nine-year-old and i'm like you know what honestly i have absolutely no idea and neither should you you shouldn't care how many meters they're swimming okay they shouldn't be doing any mornings they shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff they should be sleeping sleep is for me sleep is the most important thing and we, we hear so many mums and, and dads saying oh my daughter started you know three mornings a week they're going up at 5 a.m and i get that swimming is a young sport and it's one that you know you need to train before swimming and after swimming but not when you're that young that's when they grow when kids grow that's when their their brains kind of learn and do all the things they're meant to do and if you're waking them up you know three hours two hours before they really need to be or are meant yeah. to be woken up then it just you know people really start to struggle and it's usually the pushy parents that are, are happy to let their kids do that usually you know the parents with a bit more common sense will say actually no you're not going swimming at that time but then we also have like a um a stigma in the country of of if that's the norm that's what you've got to do if you want to be the best in the world you've got to do that yes you've got to do that at 17 18 years old not at 12 13 14 15 years old sorry that's my little no that's good to hear it's good to know and i guess also as well i'm thinking then you know you had a natural confidence in the water and a natural talent but would you say have you ever seen you know maybe a child who doesn't necessarily show straight away that they're you know a water baby or they're not super confident but then later on maybe as they get older and you know maybe swim more regularly can they then you know become I guess the best of the best absolutely my husband's a perfect example of that so he was a swimmer as well he swam and and always did swim from a young age but did again similar to me did everything he did rugby all the way through school um and it got to a point where he was at university. So he still really hadn't made a, a major team at the time. And he got to university and um, there was an opportunity for him to go out to Australia to, to train out there for a while. And he just thought, oh, I don't know, all my mates are here. I'm not really sure. I'm on the cusp of making the Scottish team, but I don't really know what's going to happen. But he, he took the challenge and he took the chance to go. And he made his first Olympic Games Um I'm probably going to get his age wrong, but he certainly mm. wasn't sort of, you know, a young a young yeah. swimmer. And we fast forward, he made it to three Olympic Games and he was the oldest um, male swimmer to have made an Olympic final at the time. So that was for the London wow. Olympic Games. He was 30 years old. Mm-hmm. He did a PB, which is unheard of as well for a, an older athlete, certainly in, in the swimming world. Um, and he, yeah, he made the Olympic final and came sixth or seventh in uh, in his Olympic... He's probably going to really have a go at me for not knowing <laughs> exactly number. I'm pretty sure it was seventh um, that he came, but it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. So he showed, you know, lots of um, good attributes as a young as a young kid for sports and you know people always would call him the swimmer because he just went swimming that's what he did but it was never something he thought he could really Mm. properly do until he had that thing presented to him so 
my journey was a little younger. I was much younger when it all started for me, but mm. you know, there's no reason why it has to be as a six year old, you're, that's it. You're going to be an Olympian, right? Yeah. Now everything you do has to track up to that bit. Yeah, that's great. That's really cool. And yeah, so it's never too late. Never, never too late. late. Well, he was 30 when he did that. I'm 31, so I might have well, missed it. No, <laughs> I'm never joking. mind. <laughs> I'm joking. So for you, as you said, you were a lot younger. So you went to your first Olympic games when you were 17 years old, which is so young, like such yeah. a baby. Um, and then you, well, you must have dedicated, you know, so much time at that time, you know, with school and everything else. And you had two siblings, as you said. So who supported you through that? They all did. Um, my family were absolutely amazing. And, and I always get asked the question, you know, who's your role model? Who who was the, the person or who was the celebrity that you look up to? And actually it was never, ever a celebrity. It was always my brother and sister, wow. always my mom and dad. Um, it's, I guess now I can say it was my mom and dad when I was younger. I didn't really think too much about that. Sorry, mom and dad. Um, but certainly my brother and sister have always been my inspiration. And, and the thing I learned probably when I was about 17, 18 years old was actually that it was that love or the the want to get that appreciation from my brother and sister as a youngster that made me kind of the person I was because I was swimming because it was the one place that I would get that recognition from both of them it was you know if I won a competition they'd be like oh well done I'd be like oh yes he yeah. said something to me today <laughs> um just so everyone knows we have a really good relationship now I don't have to do that anymore um but yeah it was things like that and I, I did not care at all that it was you know the 10 year olds I was racing that it was the 15 year olds that I was racing it didn't matter who they were how tall they were how big they were it was all about me trying to do the best that I could do mm. and just loving it and trying to be the best athlete that I could and then you know it was just it kind of went from that way and, and always as a youngster I was um I never really looked back I was always looking forward at the race at where I was going and I probably got to about 15 16 and then I started to go ooh, and then I kind of looked to the side and started to see the girls that I was racing and how tall they were how small they were how big they were how much quicker they were and started to be a little bit more kind of um self-conscious of all of that and okay. a little less confident um in right. my abilities and what I was doing and kind of had a couple of a few years of a, of a wobble in the in the pool so the event I was doing was the 800 freestyle which was the long distance um the longest distance you could do in the swimming pool and um yeah I went to the Commonwealth Games it was my first major competition um I if I'd done anywhere in my best time I probably would have won a medal probably could have won it if I'd been you know pushing up up at the top and I came fourth which for me was devastating to come right. forth was absolutely an, a, a horrendous place to come and I just fell out of love with it I spent I guess I guess I was depressed. I don't really remember too much about that time, but I guess that's what I was. I would constantly cry when I went to the pool. I just didn't want to do it anymore. How old were you then? I was about 16, 17. Mm -hmm. My body was going through all sorts of changes as 16, 17 year olds girls do. And I didn't really understand what it meant. I wasn't enjoying swimming anymore. I wasn't enjoying the training. I did not, racing was just an absolute nightmare. Like the nerves I used to get were just ridiculous. I used to be so worried about it that I used to make myself physically like have stomach ache because yeah. I was so nervous. And I was like, this is ridiculous this yeah. is not what it should be about uh so took took a bit of time out my coach was like right something's got to give I can't do this anymore neither can you so you need to make a choice the choice is either you stop and we make we draw a line in the sand and that's it or we change events we change tactics and that's when um open water swimming was really an option for me it was mm -hmm. The, well I tell you the option the option was to go to Sheffield and do a 400 medley which is when you do two lengths of each stroke or I could go to Australia and do a 10k and I was like well 
yeah, I'm going to Australia, I think. Sun, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. And that's kind of where my journey in Open Water started. Wow. And just, yeah, thank goodness that you did because yeah. you then went on to the Olympics and not only once, not twice, but three <laughs> times, which, you know, we know that we all know the Olympics only comes around every four years. Mm -hmm. So whenever I hear that anyone's been to, you know, making it to one Olympic Games is just phenomenal, you know, representing your country, you're the best, then going again and then again. That means that essentially you were at the top of the game competing against the, you know, the best swimmers in the world for 12 years. That is yeah. so impressive. Yeah, you know, like. It was an amazing experience, but it's again, not until you really, not until I've stepped away from it that I realized actually how, how cool that was. And mm. I guess I can say that now. And it was, it was a really cool thing yeah. um, to represent your country and, you know, to stand up there. But when you're in it, you know, when you're in your swimming squad and there's the people you see every single week, every single day, and everyone's trying to do the same thing or everyone in your squad has been to Olympic Games, it kind of becomes a, uh, like normal yeah, yeah it is very normal and it's the weirdest thing because yes making three olympic games is absolutely crazy to be at the top of that game and you know if you look at my results it was it was second in um in beijing then it went to fourth in london which was absolutely horrendous um but we can come to that a little later <laughs> if you want and then seventh which you know if you look at my results it's definitely the graph's gone down but in terms of the how proud I am of those that performance my last race it's mm. right up there with one of the best moments of my life because I did everything I could and I just wasn't the best athlete on that day but I did yeah. I couldn't have done any more so I was yeah. really proud of that performance but yeah it's amazing stepping away from it and and really appreciating kind of what I did how I did it and and now having been away from it I feel so lazy everyone everyone <laughs> asks me you know, about how much are you swimming? And I, I really don't swim very much. I'm going to get in so much trouble for saying that, but I really don't swim that much mm. anymore. And I'm sure I'll come back to it. Yeah. I just need time. Yeah, away. and also we're <laughs> going to get into, I mean, you are so busy, Carrie Ann, and you've got yeah lots of other things that we're going to talk about. So I'm, yeah, I can... I think it's it's fine that you're not swimming loads right now because you're doing so many things. But I really want to dig into that, what you just said about the about London. So mm -hmm. coming forth in London, obviously you'd won silver in Beijing. So why, I mean, I'm sure a lot, you know, I've heard lots of athletes talk about fourth place mm -hmm. and saying how it's almost like the worst because you're so close to the podium, but you're not. And then obviously London's home game. Mm -hmm. So yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, so I was um, the favorite going in. I was current double world champion at that the year before. I was the first person for Team GB to qualify for the London Olympics a year in advance. Um, I was sponsored by uh, so many people, by Next, by Jaguar, by Max Factor, by Oral-B, by um, Links of London, so many people. And I didn't let that pressure get to me, certainly didn't get to me. Um, but I, and I was ready for it. I was really excited about the, the Olympics. I was home favorite. I was on the front cover of the magazine, the Olympic magazine that day. So yeah. no pressure or anything. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't see it until afterwards. But um, yeah, so there's all these things, you know, coming into the race. I, tr I'd, I did that course before. I was really confident about it. It was warmer than I was expecting, which made me happy. I'm, I'm happier in warmer water than colder water. Mm -hmm. um, we started the race and, you know, it just it just didn't go to plan for me. But that was completely my error in having always done what worked for me in the past. So for what worked for me, if anybody had ever watched any of my races pre-London was I had a tactic which was to get out in front and it was to, to lead the race because I was in control of the pace. I was in control of the pack. I wasn't in the fighting. Yep. Um, you know, that's I did not want to be there. I did everything I could to be away from the pack, away from the fighting. I didn't want anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. 
And all so of a when sudden, you say the fighting, sorry, for anyone listening, so open yeah, water swimming, I mean, I haven't done it, but I've definitely <laughs> seen it. I've done triathlons as a, as a team where I'm the runner. Mm-hmm. But for the swim, I do see people swimming, I guess, like over one another yeah. and there's elbows and there's heels and there's, it looks terrifying for someone who's not confident swimming yeah. anyway. Is that what you mean by the fight? Yes. Yeah, yeah t- pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you can imagine you've got 25 girls trying to get to the same place, trying to win the same gold medal, you know it's it can be carnage there's certain parts of the race that are way worse um but i was just so terrified of being in that carnage that i just did everything i could to not be there which meant that i was in in control and in the lead of the race and i knew what i was doing and it worked so well for so many years Mm. and i thought hey well fix something that's not broken let's Mm. just carry on with that um and i was so naive to think that that was how how this biggest race of my whole entire life the most important race that i'd ever done was gonna go i hadn't planned for anything else and and no doubt well i guess no doubt um no I can't even think what the right word is, but it didn't happen, basically. Mm-hmm. I was down to plan what would have been probably plan ZZ by the time um, actually things had happened. So I had uh, started the race and I was in the lead and it was all going very well. Um, one of the other athletes decided she wanted to lead with me, which has happened once or twice before, but not any for not anybody for a long period of time. Um, and she just decided that that's what she was going to do. So I fought it for a while. And I was like, no, no, it's okay. We can we can swim together and we'll, you know, we're both still in control. Um, but what she was doing was she was on the outside of me. So I was on the inside of the course. So having the best line going around the course, but mm. our feeding station, which is a lot like a marathon feeding station, you know, um, you have somewhere that you have drinks, you have gels, you have that kind of stuff. And that was on the outside of the course. And mm. I had to go into a feeding station and she just wouldn't let me go in no. no matter what I could did I tried to go in front of her she sped up I tried to go behind her she slowed down so I just couldn't get into the feeding station so lap there was six laps so lap one of the serpentine if anybody um kind of mm-hmm. had been there so, so for lap one I didn't didn't matter too much I wasn't too fast not problem lap two that's usually when I would have wanted to get in so I'd, I'd aim to feed at least three times mm-hmm. so at lap two it was gonna be lap four and then lap five again um she just wouldn't let me go in lap two. So I'd missed that one. I was like, oh, no worries. It's okay. So lap three, she didn't let me go in again. I was but like, was right. she not stopping either? No, she, she was self-sufficient. She had stuff on her. <gasps> I didn't. Sabotage. I know. This is making <laughs> me feel stressed. Oh my so gosh. Lap, lap three, didn't get it either again. She, she didn't let me have that. And I was like, right, lap three. If I don't get one on the, that's halfway of the race now. I've yeah. never not fed at halfway of a race before so mentally as well yeah that's obviously throwing you off because totally. you're thinking i can't oh my gosh. so i was like i just need to get one good feed in that's all i need and i'll be totally fine so lap four i found my opportunity and i took it i was like right i was looking the whole time found my opportunity and i took it and i went on the outside sacrificed a couple of corners to get there but managed to make my, my way onto the outside went into the feed feeding station and the person that was feeding me um ridiculously was the first time that they'd ever fed me before that's another story for another time um but you know it just didn't work out so is it well. usually planned so I, even yeah. you saying this because i don't know enough mm-hmm. about you know open water swimming so it's not the case you just grab something you've got your own yeah specific stuff ready yeah. own feeder so, own so they feed you yeah. so what do you is it like a matter of seconds i'm thinking of yeah. like i'm imagining a pit stop in the formula Pretty much. one <laughs> exactly we're trying to be like we're trying to be there for less than a pit stop would be but it's literally okay. there's a a, a a long like a fishing 
rod type thing with no a, a bucket at the end and we're not allowed to touch that all we're allowed to touch is to touch the drink that's in it um wow. so to swim to it you've got to find them so they were all like going, wow, wow, wow i'm here i'm here and you're like oh you're a bit scary oh you're no you're not oh there you are right and grab it and it was just a little too high for me i missed it so i kind of had to put the brakes on turn back and then go back again and get it i didn't have to swim back but i just had to turn back and get it right. which meant that i was just one or two seconds behind which meant that everyone else that was on on point basically then swam literally over the top no they literally swam over the top of me because i was one or two seconds in that you know i guess olympic level one or two seconds is is all it takes yeah exactly one moment is all it takes and that was my moment that it just didn't work out so i'd gone in joint first and i came out about 12th or 13th i mean i even remember seeing little ducks like i mean it's ridiculous when when you see that on cartoons but i genuinely saw like little ducks floating in my eye going Oh my good, oh no, carry on, carry on. And the thing that got me through that, cause I spent the next lap going, oh, this is horrific. Mm. Like that's it. I'm definitely gonna have a black eye. I can feel it coming on. So you've I may been as well like, just obviously stop. hit in the face. Yeah, and- yeah, swam over and hit in the face and kicked and punched. And I was like, I'm, I, look, I could probably stop now. Everyone will have seen that and that'll be okay. I'll have a black eye and I can say, oh, did you see what happened? And I was so ready to stop and just be like, right, that's it. Just didn't work out this time. But because it was a home Olympics and there was, yeah. Imagine it, 30,000 people came to watch oh me swim. 30,000. I mean, I'm sure about 50 were there to watch the other swimmers, <laughs> but I'm going 29,950, whatever. They were there for you, Carrie. Were there for me, yeah. yeah. And I could, because they were so close, because the venue was a really close venue, I could see people shouting, Carrie Ann. I could see their mouth oh going, God. oh, Carrie Ann. And I was like, I can't, can't stop. stop. I can't have stop. to carry on. I have to do this. My brother was there, my mom, my sister, everyone was there. I was like, I have to do this. Um, and anyway, so I decided I had two two laps after that to try and get back. And I sp- spent every ounce of that energy I had getting my way back up. Yeah. And uh, I made it all the way. So from 12th to 4th. Yeah, to 12th. And I finished 4th by 0.4 of a second, oh which is basically nothing. Which, yeah, but that's, so this is the thing with 4th place, right? So if you just see the stats 4th, you yeah. don't know that story. Yeah. But hearing that story, 4th is like, you know, that's a victory. And like yeah, you said, you totally. didn't stop. And like, also <laughs> something that's just thinking in my head right now is the sabotage. I mean, who was that woman? Because... <laughs> Did she obviously... She went on to win. So she won. Yeah. Okay. Did you know, <laughs> did, did you know her? Did she know you? Was it, you know, I guess in that scene, in, in that, in that uh, industry, do you compete with the same swimmers all the time? Like, did she yeah. know you and your plan? And so totally. she set out like, okay, this is my goal to sabotage you. Totally. Mm. I don't think it was her goal to sabotage me, but I think she made the best of a situation. And the worst part of it wasn't her. The worst part of it was me. How did I think going into my biggest competition, not to have a plan B, not to have a plan C, not to have a plan D. I just had plan A. I had the plan. It wasn't mm. even like, oh, what if that happens and that happens? I only had the plan i was why was i not self-sufficient it was all these things going through my mind Olympic so what does self-sufficient medalist. what does what you just have your own stuff with yeah. you and why had you never done that before well i hadn't but we'd we just there was a new suit that was developed by um, my current sponsor at the time which was speedo and i wanted to wear the suit because i thought it was really good but there wasn't anywhere for me to put my gels um and it just didn't work. i hadn't found out another solution to do that and i thought you know what it's fine i usually go into a, st- a feeding station to feed it, it's not going to be a problem but turns out it was a problem and <sighs> i was so angry with myself not with her by any means because she like good on her she found i'm angry with her <laughs> <laughs> she found a, a you know something and she exploited it and absolutely she did she, she you know she won Olympic Games because of it not because of it but you know that's definitely a reason strategy why though. yeah strategy that worked really well for her and she's Olympic champion for it but um I'm surprised that nobody didn't nobody had done that earlier to be honest right. um but and the thing I said thing I was most upset was me 
for not having a plan and not mm-hmm. so I had touched the wall I knew I had about three minutes to get out to try and figure out what had just happened oh, and I had man. to speak to Claire Balding in like the world basically no. I said the world I'm sure it was some people in the world but you know I had to like explain what had happened and I was just like I don't really know what happened I just, oh. and you know Claire's lovely yeah. and she's just always been the person when you get out of a big competition like that she's always there she's she gets so emotionally yeah. involved in things and I could see she was like really upset and I was like I don't need you to be upset. yeah Thank come you. on Claire um and anyway it was the longest media line I've ever seen um because open water swimming has such had has such a massive injection since 2008 to 2012 that um there were so many people, so many people interested in it. And the media line was ridiculous. I mean, I was in the media line for two hours. What? Just walking, talking to the next people, talking, 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 talking. And you're thinking, I really don't want to be doing I know, this. <laughs> no, telling people the same story or finding out different things here. And it wasn't until the very end where we got to kind of, you start with the TV and then you go kind of to print and then you go to the radio stations. And it was the radio stations and it was BBC Five Live. And it was a guy called Steve Parry, who I used to train with. Mm. So he won a bronze medal at the Athens Olympics. And he was, I guess if I had to talk of one role model that would be him for me i trained with him and he was absolutely an outstanding trainer person and goes to show all the hard work you put in and fun results and things like that olympic medals and he was there and oh it was it was emotional we looked at each other oh, and no. he started crying and i started crying and then we had to do this meeting. oh it was it was bad but you know it was a really devastating moment yeah. but it took about three months for me to look back on it and go you know what i'm really proud of that performance mm, it was be. You know, I didn't let the pressure get to me. It wasn't the outside pressure. It wasn't the fact that I was sponsored by these people and that I was the front cover of that day and all that sort of stuff. It was it was my own naivety that let me down. It wasn't anything else, uh, any outside circumstances other than me not wanting mm-hmm. to challenge myself. And, you know, looking back now, there was people in my team that were saying, should you, is that the best way to do it? Is there not? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I didn't really let anything happen. I never really asked questions. I just did what I always thought was the right thing to do. And it, you know, turns out it wasn't always the best thing to do. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that because that was amazing. And gosh, so much emotion. But you know what? There's two kinds of people in the world, I believe. And, you know, even hearing you say, you know, I was angry at myself. I was, you know, you're taking on 100% of the accountability. Mm. And you're saying, you know, I didn't have a plan B. You know, I didn't listen to people around me. I didn't ask. So many people would have blamed other people. You know, there's people, as I said, two people in the world some that kind of yeah take responsibility and some that blame you know it's Mm -hmm. always this person's fault it was this teacher's fault it was their mom's fault it's the government's fault it's someone else's fault every failure every setback every no every rejection is not their fault and they don't take it on and i believe if you do that you'll never improve you'll Mm -hmm. never learn you'll never i don't know i don't know how people i guess it comes from a place of you know not wanting to yeah, like be the reason that they failed because, or not fail because it wasn't a failure, but you know what I mean in some yeah. instances. Mm-hmm. So I think it's incredible that you, yeah, that you say that, that you're like, no, nope, <laughs> it's on me. It, it was on me, totally. And I think maybe at the time I wasn't very much, like I was looking for everything I could. Um, You know, I got hit in the face. Can you see, can you see, <laughs> can you see my black eye? It's coming. Oh, it's really sore. I can feel it. Um, And just think, and it did take a while. And, you know, there were other circumstances involved. Um, I had a kidney infection that year. I had a back injury that year. Um, my coach got ill that year so he he wasn't around during the, the time of Olympic qualifiers and all that kind of stuff so it was a really tricky really tough year but 
that had nothing to do with it. I've I've felt ready for the race yeah. and I was ready to go and I was, you know, up for it. It just something just, you know, it was that one moment, which yeah. I'm sure many people have that one moment that mm. something went wrong, something happened and they can attribute a lot of things to that one moment. And that yeah. for me, was just, oh, you stupid girl. Why did you not plan for this? Yeah, such fine margins. Like you said, those yeah. two seconds. Cause yeah. most people be like, oh, it's two seconds. Yeah. But yeah, wow. Okay, so olympic games all of that but now you know you've you've established you know a whole new career essentially mm. and i know that for a lot of athletes you know we talked before about whether they have a plan for after their career mm. whether they think about that at the time or whether they just wait but i know that you now deliver keynotes you deliver um talks about confidence and resilience and you also have not one but two companies <laughs> so ever since the first one that i mentioned uh triscape mm-hmm. The first, ever since I heard about Triscape, I've seriously been considering signing up. So can you talk to us and tell us all about Triscape? Well, first of all, my mission will be to make sure that you join us on one of our Triscape retreats because I would love to get you in the water and show you that there are just a few things that you can do that can make you way more confident in the water. And I'm not saying you have to swim 10K. I just want you to feel like you can say, yeah, let's go for a swim today rather than go, I'm dreading going for a swim today. So we will get to that, but that will be my mission for uh, for another day. Um, But yeah, so Triscape really started because I didn't want to be the kind of athlete that finished my career not really knowing what to do or going, right world, what have you got for me? I'm Olympic silver medalist, double world champion. Oh yeah. (laughs) What have you got? Come on, come on. Anybody? No, nothing? Yeah, come on this way. And with the world, you know, with the world of the Olympics, every Team GB is doing so much better every single year. There are so many incredible people with incredible stories that, you know, to get a piece of that world of the sponsorship of the the great jobs, the roles, the speaking gigs, the TV stuff, it's really small. It's really fine. If you don't have a massive voice or a massive following or you know the right people you're not going to get there. And I did not want to be the athlete. And I'd seen so many people go through those emotions thinking, right, I'm three times Olympic medal- gold medalist for a sport and no one knows my name. No one knows me specifically. They know my team. They know the boat I was on. They know this, they know that. They know, you know, how everybody else did, but no one actually knows my name specifically. So mm. to go and say, you know, I want to do this, I want to do that. You needed to have something else basically. So that was either creating a story that worked really well, your story, developing your story, telling people about it, getting people on board with your story to get the sponsorships, to get that kind of thing. Or the other thing was setting up something before you retired, finding out what it is that you wanted to do before you you actually, you know, hung up your goggles as people like to say when it comes to swimming <laughs> retirement. Um, so I decided it, I wanted to have something to step into. And my husband and I, he he retired after London. So he had four years um, of working life and he was kind of my role model for this um, whole thinking was that he did um, a master's degree in business coaching the four years before. So from the Beijing Olympics through to London, he did this master's because he was really interested in the coaching side of things. And when he retired, he stepped into a role with his, at the time it was his agent, um, who'd helped him prepare all of that and do it all and give him the experience. And he stepped into a role there. So he knew he had something to step into once he retired. And actually when he finished, everyone was asking him, oh, do you miss it? Do you miss, and he's like, do I miss training at 5 a.m. every morning? (laughs) No. Do I miss putting little trunks on every day? No, I'm really excited. And he was really genuinely excited and absolutely loved what he was doing with Mm. the company that he was working with. 
Um, and I saw that and I was like, that's what I want to be. I don't want to be the kind of person that either comes back to it. So if anybody knows much about the, the sport, you know, someone like Michael Phelps, who was absolutely one of the best athletes in the world, retired. And then my, this is my personal opinion, might not be the exact one, but my personal opinion is the reason he came back was because he didn't have anything else to do or right. there was too much going on that everyone wanted a piece of him and he was getting bored of it, didn't understand. Didn't, and the only thing he knew and has always known was swimming. So he yeah. came back to it and very successfully did really well. And yeah. um, when he came back to it again, not many athletes can do that, but he's a very special type of person, mm. um, you know, and then came back to it. And, and then I think realized I need to have something else. I can't keep coming back to this. There's only so many times I can do that. Yeah. So that's where kind of this want to find something. Um, anyway, Triscape came up as um, a conversation I had with David. So he'd retired. He wasn't traveling quite as much and I was traveling still around the world. And I thought, you know what? I really want to carry on traveling. I don't want to stop traveling. Um, I definitely want to carry on swimming and go to nice places in the world because I love that. But I want to do it with you and I want to meet cool people along the way. So, right, let's make it happen. Yeah. And that's literally where Triscape, it was literally a what if, what if we can do that? What if, and what if that, and what if that? And yeah, before we knew it, Triscape was born and we went out to St. Lucia to a place called The Body Holiday. And uh, we did our first retreat and it went really, really well. They loved it, asked us back. So this, this November will be our fifth time back to the body holiday fourth time doing our retreat mm -hmm. uh, we've helped them put on a one mile sea swim as well so during the the retreat there's a, a swim for anybody on the island or any of the other guests want to join and to be part of creating something like that is absolutely amazing yeah so when you so it's a retreat so yeah. people say for example when they sign up how long is it for what's the kind of not schedule but like what could they expect so it's anywhere from, so the body holiday in St. Lucia, that's four days for us. It's a four day retreat. Um, but the one that we go on at the end of March to Nevis, which is another Caribbean island, that's a, a full week, mm -hmm. but it's not intense. It's, we very much understand it's a holiday. Like you have to enjoy your holiday, but let's teach you how to learn a new skill or let's make you more efficient by the end of it. So mm -hmm. there'll be about an hour of swimming every day. And again, it's not just swimming up and down. I'm not going to just chuck you in the sea and go, right, Adrian, on you go. We'll see you in an hour. <laughs> yeah, no, no it's not, not without armbands. <laughs> definitely not it's what we do it's what we do is all about confidence confidence is massive for us it's the one thing we want to do so we always start in the pool we always start with breathing first because it's the one thing that stops so many people from either learning how to swim or swimming faster swimming a longer distance um it's and it's so underrated people mm -hmm. talking about breathing but the one thing as humans, we cannot live without. I don't understand how people don't work on breathing or coaches don't work on it or people don't think about how important breathing is. And when everyone gets to the end of a length, they go, I'm so out of breath, I'm so unfit. And they're like, oh, swimming fitness. Swimming, that's rubbish. Swimming You're fitness just holding is not your a breath. thing. You're basically <laughs> hyperventilating yourself. Um, so yeah, work on breathing. So that's the stuff we do. And we don't move on from that until you feel confident with it. I would never get you into the sea until you felt confident to do that. So it's all about making people more efficient swimmers. Um, as they go through the journey with us. And you've had some real success stories, haven't you? Some some non-swimmers yeah. who, people who, you know, wouldn't even put their head in the water, who've then gone on to be swimmers in, in what, four days? Yeah, so it's a four day retreat. So yeah, it was absolutely amazing. So a lady called Roz, she's a really fantastic woman. And she, she basically said, right, I'm gonna do this. I'm terrified of water, but she was on this massive weight loss journey. And she was like, I just need to do something different. I need to get out of my comfort zone. And so she did. So she listened to us talk about what we were gonna do and how we were gonna do it. And she's like, these are the people that are gonna help me do it so day one I, we always take a video of the people on day one and then we take a video of day four as well and yeah she didn't have her head in the water she literally was flinging her arms around and she got to the other side which was amazing um her feet were pretty much trailing on the floor her head was out in the water she held her breath the whole time um and then by day four she swam 
um, 800 meters in the sea, nonstop. Oh God. Like in the sea, which she would never even go on a boat because she was terrified of the water. Never mind actually swim in the sea. Um, it was just amazing. I mean, there was tears, there was Prosecco, there was yeah. everything at the end of that 800 meters. It was amazing. That sounds amazing because honestly for me, so we've talked a little bit before about my long swimming journey, but <laughs> I'd say like I have one of my very best friends, Hayley. She is an incredible swimmer now and she inspires me so much to, to you know, to get, swimming really because mostly because she learned to swim as, as an adult so she basically signed up for a triathlon knowing that she couldn't swim because she was like if I sign up for a triathlon then I'm gonna have to learn so that's what she did she learned to swim and you know she competed in triathlon and then went on to do half Ironmans and the thing is oh. if you see her swim now she literally glides along <laughs> the top of the water she looks so effortless and she enjoys swimming so as she said you know we were away once in where were we Spain I can't remember but I just watched her swim in the ocean and I thought I'm so envious because yeah just to be able to be confident enough I've never ever I don't think honestly I'm 31 years old I don't think I've ever swam in the sea ever like I've been in the sea obviously so I yeah. can stand up and I might you know whatever bob around but I honestly was so envious to think wow to be able to get into I can't even imagine actually what it would feel like because even in the pool like you know you can just get to the side or put your feet down or and I think it sounds silly and I know as you said as an adult it's almost a, embarrassing and I shouldn't say it's embarrassing mm -hmm. but I think because people see me doing fitness challenges all the mm -hmm. time and you know running half marathons and doing this and that and I know people have actually kind of ribbed me for it before you know like at triathlons when I've been the runner and they're like like almost ribbed me about the fact I'm, I can't swim and yeah you do it's a little bit embarrassing but then I'm also like you know what we can't all be good at everything mm -hmm. I never had lessons really because I avoided them because I wasn't confident so it's a vicious cycle so I do hear what you're saying and I'm like wow if that woman could do that in four days yeah in some ways it makes me excited to be like come on Adrienne just go for it but then in other ways I'm like oh it just sounds honestly so terrifying like oh I totally get that and again the thing with us is what we would do is sit down with you and figure out what it is that's stopping you from doing it what is in your brain it's looking at the fears assessing them and trying to kind of come at them head on rather than just kind of dig them down deep inside and things like you know then a lot of people think things like fish are scary and all that sort of stuff or like there's sharks in the sea yes and you know what I have my jaws moment all the time all really? the time See, i've never I even swim. thought about that oh, i don't no, even know but no, seriously that sounds silly because i'm sure people i've never yeah fish not bothered you know That's obviously good. shark but i don't i wouldn't <laughs> even think about that for me what I, would, I think if i had to think about it really it's probably just a control thing mm. i like to be in control of what i can and can't do yeah and i feel out of control if i know that for example you said about breathing if i feel like i can't breathe yeah. and i'm running out of oxygen running out of energy if i can't stop and put my feet down then essentially you're going to drown so i think for me it's just not being able to control it and just not have an experience doing it if you don't yeah. do anything it's scary to do it you know totally and actually that's really for me really exciting to hear that you feel like that's the thing for you because I know if I spent half an hour with you in the water working on breathing we'd make a difference I'm not saying it's going to be cured in half an hour and it's something you have to work on with everything if you want to be better at something you have to work on it but it's helping you understand so as human beings, we all have caveman instincts. One of them is we have to have constant access to oxygen because we literally will die in three minutes if we don't have oxygen. Mm -hmm. There's obviously the odd few that can go longer, but generally most people. And when you add something like water into that environment, of course you're gonna go, oh my goodness. So your brain, mm -hmm. when you get close to water, your brain without even realizing it is going, I'm gonna die, that's it, I'm gonna Stay die, that's safe. it. Yeah. Oh my God, that's it, this is the last moment of my whole entire life, I need to get the biggest breath in I can. <gasps> And everyone takes in massive, they absolutely fill their lungs. And sometimes people are even told, I've watched some YouTube videos and it really upsets me. People are saying, right, you need to fill your lungs and you have to empty your lungs. When in your life do you 
ever do that mm. maybe yeah, in, that, yeah. maybe in yoga you know when you're at the start at the end of a class but it's not something sustainable why mm. would you do would you run like that no yeah, would you cycle would you do any sport like that no yeah so why people do that when they get in the water is because their brain is going if i don't get this breath in that's it i'm gonna die so lots of people have these moments of panic and essentially what we would be doing is helping your brain and training your brain to understand that it's okay you can take a breath a smaller breath in you breathe in when your face is to the side if we're talking about front crawl or even breaststroke when your face is in the water you breathe out mm. and when your face is out either for breaststroke out the front or for freestyle to the side that's when you take your breath in and it's got to be more of a nice wave than like these big massive spikes mm. of breathing in and out you know our bodies have to breathe in and out the same amount you know we can't really if you if you breathe in a lot and then out a little no you, yeah, you know yeah. ends up being out of, out of control so we've got to make sure that the breath is exactly how it is right now as you're mm. sitting here right now breathing nice and calmly nice and controlled swimming's exactly the same as that so it's just helping your brain understand that that is the way to do it and you mm. can do it and so you that caveman instinct kind of starts to quieten down a bit and the rationale side of your brain goes ah okay yeah Totally. Oh, that makes mm. total sense. And as soon as you become confident with that, everything will click into place from there. Sounds good. Watch this space, guys. <laughs> I'm already seeing like the cogs in my head are turning. I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. Because I'm all about encouraging other people to get mm. outside of their comfort zones and to challenge themselves. And I'm always saying, you know, you can do hard things and you've got to try and it's never too late. So I really need to take my own advice. So yeah, maybe, I maybe. Yeah. Oh gosh. All right. Okay. Maybe you'll see me there. And um, oh gosh, honestly, we could talk all day about swimming. I, know, I just, I want to no, it's great. I wanted to, one more question because I, I, people, hopefully, if they're loving all of this, then they want to hear it. But what about this whole body buoyancy density black people white people because that is a thing that I've always used an excuse I'm like I'm black I sink and I do feel I've seen friends who are like they're so much more buoyant they can lay on the water on their back I can't carry on I sink <laughs> so is that actually a thing so there is absolutely um something to do with that with you know different genetics gen yeah, yeah. they're definitely a part of that but that's not to say that you can't swim so I mean, we've there's some incredible, um, you know, black swimmers out there and white swimmers and Indian swimmers and everything. A lot of the things with in with regards to that are cultural things. So okay. in somewhere like India, for example, there aren't really many swimming pools in India, so you mm. don't see that many people from India that go to the Olympics and you really challenge for those Olympic medals because it's just not part of their culture. It's not part of what they do. The same in Africa, I'd, I'd probably say the same sort of thing. You know, there's running is such a big part of life out there. So running is going to be the natural sport that a lot they of dominate. people want to do. Yeah. And actually within communities, swimming is, is uh, so we'll go to the Caribbean now. In the Caribbean communities, swimming is, um, you know, the water is is scary. And, you know, one sure. of the islands that we go to, Nevis, which I'm going to next um, in a couple of weeks time, there was a, a bad ferry disaster and loads of families on the island of Nevis lost their lost relatives because the ferry sunk and none of the people on the boat could swim or not many people could swim. So loads of people lost their lives. So all the elders on the island think water is absolutely the Danger. most terrifying thing. Don't go. And so they're telling their kids, don't go anywhere near the water. You're not allowed to go near the water. And they're telling their kids, you're not allowed to go near the water. And it's a right. vicious cycle. So that's part of it. But if we come back to um, to anybody learning and trying it out, I've certainly had clients who have been both, have been real floaters and been real sinkers. And it's, <laughs> sometimes it's hard to figure out exactly what it is. But the thing I'm coming back to time, time again, is how tense you are. So if I work on someone's head position, as an example, that's usually the thing that helps someone bring their body up and to be nice and streamlined on the water. 
no matter how hard I work on someone's head position, if they're still really tense because they're terrified of breathing, they sink to the bottom, no questions asked. Right. If I held my breath and I was really tense, I would sink to the bottom, no questions asked. So there is definitely um, genetics involved in that and bone density. I don't know much about the science behind that. Maybe mm. one of your listeners knows more about that. And mm. I'd love to hear more about it if yeah. someone can tell me more about it. But I think it's a lot to do with actually how tense you are in the water. And if you're tense yeah. and you're holding you, you're, you're really tense and you don't want to do it. And you're like, I'm trying to breathe. <laughs> that's me, you're the water, you got it. <laughs> there you go. Um, it's never going to work out. Yeah, and I think that's super interesting what you said about social and cultural influence because of course those things play a part as well. Yeah. So yeah, okay, I can't use that excuse anymore. I'm going <laughs> to give it a go. Oh gosh, okay, so I guess we should talk about the power hour yeah. and morning routines. But Carrie Ann, you, as well as all of these other things, as well as your business, as well as uh, your your second business as well, Straight Line with coaching, you have also recently become a mother, yeah. which is incredible. Congratulations. Um, so I didn't even really ask you at the moment, because how old is your how old is <laughs> She's your She's nearly six months. Nearly six months. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I didn't even ask you about morning routines because yeah, all new mums should get a free pass for at least 12 <laughs> months. Do you have a morning routine at the moment or is your sleep controlled by a miniature <laughs> it certainly was um but we're starting to get into a routine now which is really good um i was listening to one of your other podcasts with fleur and she was saying that her schedule is so up and down it's not anything specific and mine's very similar actually um i don't really have like a set i'm in the office this day or i'm doing this this day or i'm doing that this day um and what i've noticed at the beginning it was really easy actually having a newborn that sleeps in newborn cycles was was really easy because she would sleep anywhere and everyone it was great but now she's sort of getting into like what little adult sleep cycles yeah i'm finding it a little harder to get her to kind of get into that routine so um we're trying to to do that but also trying to be a bit more of a family so my husband david he travels you know probably one or two nights a week for maybe two weeks of the month every month so he's either in amsterdam or bristol or traveling around so you know sometimes solo parenting can be really hard like really if hard. i'm doing my own like having lunch you asked me how what i had for lunch today i literally had toast for lunch today which is <laughs> with one hand probably <laughs> yeah, yeah which is terrible but that's just how it was i'll probably have a bag of crisps on the way home as well because <laughs> i was like oh yeah i didn't eat lunch today um so it's just little things like that which are totally ridiculous but now that she is starting to sleep well at night which is amazing so really really helpful what we're trying to do is trying to set the alarm for 7 a.m and it's sometimes really hard if she's if i can't hear her awake and i'm kind of like oh just sleep when they snooze, sleep yeah but what we're trying to do is basically wake up at seven or my alarm goes off at seven and then that's a chance for me and my husband to both basically have a shower so if she is awake because if she hears anything that time in the morning she's usually awake so just chuck her in bed with with david i will then go and have a shower then he'll have a shower and then we go upstairs for half seven and all of us have basically have breakfast together so she has her milk first and she's just we've started weaning her so she absolutely loves porridge so she's then have porridge and we all eat together my husband makes coffees for us we have breakfast and it's just an hour no phones no nothing just the three of us to be together because we kind of need to find those moments where we actually all sit together and do stuff because we've found you know because you're looking after a baby and when he would come home i'd be like here she is your turn yeah, yeah and, taking it, and it wasn't even like and I, I, I we had to have this conversation and i'm sure lots of people will relate to this we had to have a conversation about it the day because i was saying please spend time with her and he was taking it as because he's feeling guilty because he's working a lot more he's away two nights a week the last thing he wants is to feel feel even more guilty about not being there with her mm. um and i i didn't mean it as in please just spend five minutes with your daughter it was yeah. i need five yeah. minutes please can i have five minutes and it wasn't at all with him it was just 
here she is i need just five minutes to myself to make dinner to do the washing to whatever it was whatever, that we, to whatever you need that requires two hands exactly yeah, yeah exactly um and it was really interesting having that conversation because he for a while you know thought that i was meaning it in a you don't spend enough time with her and that's not at all what i meant yeah um so it was really interesting conversation that we had that so i decided like the new rule is that you know we wake up at seven both have a shower because hey both of us need to have a shower at some <laughs> point and then um yeah we have breakfast together and at half eight he then cycles off to work and um i whatever it is there. happens yeah. from that way. so that's really the, as far as morning routines go at the moment for us both yeah that's really nice though especially as you said making time to be all together without the phone and also having you know because what you just described i'm sure if you're if anyone's listening to this show who is a parent they yeah. are just gonna know exactly what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about because you know nothing can compare can um prepare you for that so yeah. i think you know i you know due to so much older now but if i think back to that time you do you suddenly think how did i do things mm-hmm. like you just literally like i used to you do everything with one hand yeah. you know you kind of you've got five minute window to quickly do this and i remember even things like loading the car if you were going somewhere and you're thinking well where do i should i put him in the seat first and then i've got to do this and that and you so many things to think yeah. about especially and as you said solo parenting when your husband is away mm. is so difficult and i know so many women that do it and it's mm-hmm. just and men that do it and it's yeah. just incredible so suddenly this little person you're like i need a team to, yeah. to get all this stuff done so yeah i'm definitely wasn't expecting you to be like yes i get up at five and i meditate no. and i light and whatever um but when you were i guess back in the day when mm-hmm. you were swimming and you were training did you do the early morning swims yeah. i'm assuming you did and then did you have any specific like i don't know daily rituals or morning rituals that kind of you did every single day yeah so the thing i used to do was um it was getting up at sort of six thirty-seven, depending on when you get a little older and you don't have to go to school anymore which was <laughs> the great thing you generally can train a little bit later so it was getting up half six seven getting up um i absolutely love sleep so i was getting up literally as late as i possibly could and um we'd always have to be on poolside 15 minutes before training to do sort of pre-pool um making sure we're stretched and we're ready to go before we got in and i would literally walk on to, so if we had to be there quarter past six and training was half six i would literally walk onto poolside at 14 like 6 14 and 58 seconds they'd be like where is she oh there she is so i'd be like i'm Last on poolside one. at 6 15 um and i did try to but i'm just the late i'm just a late person and i hate it but i'm never late like an hour late i'm always like two or three minutes late that's just like i'm just literally late yeah. for everything which is driving my coach crazy never for races though i think i only missed a couple of races but um yeah so i used to get up in the morning um have some toast usually eating it on the way because i'd snooze for probably a little bit too long and then like <laughs> quickly grabbing some so for me it was toast with peanut butter or, or rice cakes because um depending on what it was and then banana on top of it and then i'd go training we'd do the pre-pool we'd do the session we'd do post-pool so 15 minutes afterwards as well um some mornings was gym and then or some mornings were back home so the only thing that i try to always make sure that i guess my my routine was if i was doing gym i always had to have a smoothie with me because that was like the post post training snack that i needed it had everything in it that i needed i knew what was in it it was just milk it was yogurt it was oats sometimes berries bananas um peanut butter whatever it was that i needed to put in there mm. um and then i would have that and if i wasn't doing gym and i was coming back home I'd be straight back home having sort of a breakfast of some sort, avocado mm. eggs, um, that kind of stuff. So it was always food really was the biggest the biggest routine that we really had to get into as, as athletes and yeah. doing it the right way. Wow. Wow. It sounds great. It sounds, as I said, so impressive. The dedication. I just absolutely hats off to you. I think it's super impressive and I am... Um, excited slash terrified at the thought of hopefully spending some time with you in a pool definitely 
Awesome. So before I get to my final um, question, where can people find you online and in real life if they want to find out more about Triscape, if they want to, you know, follow you online? Yeah, so I'm on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. So um, at Carrie Ann Payne or at Carrie Ann underscore Payne, you'll find the one I've got a little... Um, I guess a little blue tick mm-hmm. on on Instagram. That means you're real. Yeah, as Jayla would it's say, it's the real me. It's the real you. <laughs> I think there was another one that I didn't quite remember the password for. Anyway, um, and then for our business, so Triscape is at Triscape underscore on all those platforms as well, and then Straight Line Swimming is just Facebook and, and a website. So either straightlineswimming.com or on Facebook, we're at Straight Line Swimming. Awesome, thank you. And do you have a power hour challenge for us? I know we touched on getting outside of comfort zones, stuff like that. Is there something we could try this week? Any ideas on the power hour challenge? Yeah, so actually when I was thinking about this on the way here, I was trying to think of something that I, I do or something that I have done that I could say, oh yeah, let's do this and be this big profound thing. But actually I think it might've been through my many podcast listenings to over the last couple of months um, and I don't know if I heard it somewhere or if I read somewhere if someone said it to me but someone said that if you can do if it takes two minutes do it I think it might have been my old swimming coach that had a conversation with I can't remember you know when you yeah. just hear so many things I'm pretty sure it's from a guy called Lars Humer out in um he's out back in out now in uh, in New Zealand and I was talking to him and he said he that was it yeah he was talking to his mother and he basically said look mum if it takes two minutes do it do it now do it now if yeah. it takes two minutes do it don't leave it till later on because it's going to take four hours to do later on so yeah. if it takes two minutes do it and i have tried and i'm trying so this week for well next week i'm going to make sure that that is my theme for the whole week if it takes two minutes do it because okay. josephine can cry for two minutes if she has to it's only two minutes she's well fed <laughs> she's she's, fine, she's yeah. warm she's got everything she needs um if it takes me two minutes to do something i need to do it so that's going to be my next kind of the big thing i'm going to try and do so if it takes two minutes i'm just going to get it done filing the washing like all that kind of stuff if it takes two minutes do it <laughs> awesome and so my final closing question which i know you've heard but i really do believe that time is the most valuable thing that we all have you've done so much carry on but i i'm no doubt that you've got plenty more things to come it doesn't seem like you're slowing down anytime <laughs> soon so what is the most valuable thing that time has taught you time has taught me that ask people questions ask for help ask people questions um don't take things personally so that kind of all it's all mashes up to one thing is if you want to get better at something ask people ask how to get better at it ask what you could have done better ask um for help if you need it people love helping people but no one asks for it especially Mm. in the uk what it is about brits but we just don't like asking for help but people love helping if you've got something you need ask someone they'll do it and that's what i learned through my career i think those first four years from beijing to london i didn't ask for help I didn't ask questions because it was working why fix something that's not broken but I never really challenged anything else and from London to Rio I challenged everything I challenged myself I challenged people I asked for help I asked for this and I had the most incredible four years yes I didn't win a medal and you know I wish I could have a great story at the end of it came fourth in London but I won Rio woohoo and that was my goal absolutely but I wasn't the best athlete on the day but I had a great you know I absolutely loved those four years and loved every part of the challenge and building up my resilience how was I going to do that I needed to swim in a pack with people right so that for me I how can I do that and I asked for help and someone said well why don't you just swim in it so that's what we did I started a race 
got out in front as my usual thing, turn onto my back and I'd let everyone sew at the top of me. And then I'd turn around and I'd make my way back through. And then as soon as I got to the top, I'd turn around and I'd let them all sew over the top of me. And I'd never have done that if I wasn't brave enough to ask someone or brave enough to try mm. just to try it myself, to try ask myself what is it that I can do so ask questions and um, that's the thing I've learned the most is that if you sit down and don't ever ask anything then it, nothing's going to come so ask questions yes that's awesome thank you so <laughs> so much I really really hope that you've enjoyed this episode thank you so much for listening if you have enjoyed it then don't forget to share it let us know uh, you can rate and review over on iTunes and yeah check out Kerry Ann online and check out Triscape watch this space team because <laughs> I can feel it I can feel it I know that as soon as we finish this I'm going to be like okay sign me up so that's it you just said it yeah, yeah I did I did <laughs> sign me up thanks so much see ya bye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.